Hello and welcome back to What Is Your Working Class, the podcast dedicated to exploring the variety that exists in working classness. And today I'm joined by the Marketing and Communications Manager for the 93% Club, Finn Wright. To stay up to date on our new episodes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at What Is Your Work One and on your chosen podcast provider. Thank you so much for listening and hope you enjoy the episode. Hey Finn, how you doing? Not too bad, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Just plodding along as usual mm-hmm. at the moment. <laughs> uh, whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm in London at the moment. I'm kind of plodding my way around the city, away from home for a little while. <laughs> nice. You imagine to stay sane at the moment? Yeah, not not too bad. I I feel like the um, the work has been keeping me kind of I don't know busy. Um, I was talking to my friends the other day, and we've all been finding that. Um, lockdown has kind of given us renewed sense of like oh we've got so many things that we can be doing and I think that's kind of what we've been focusing a little bit and focusing on studies and and kind of extracurriculars so it's been yeah it's not been too bad yeah cool (laughs) so before we get into the work that you do with the 93% club uh, what is Mm -hmm. your class background Um, so I would say I'm from a kind of upper working class family Um, so uh, my kind of parents when I was younger were very much working class and then kind of as I've grown older we kind of moved up a little bit so my parents have been socially mobile themselves. Uh, I went to a state school, a comprehensive state school in Essex which kind of didn't have its problems but kind of its volume of people and kind of lack of resources kind of got compounded into um, like a bit of a, a strange experience where kind of I think I mean, I guess this is the general experience of a lot of people who went to an, a bog standard comp is that they kind of try and just ferry you through, get you the results that like that mm. they think are best for you and kind of get you out as soon as possible. But then kind of when I hit sick form, I went to a faith school. I'm not religious myself, but which kind of were on par with comprehensives in the sense of like the mixed kind of community, um, kind of mixed social classes, but were much better resourced mainly because they get kind of funding from Mm. two sources um so it kind of I think that experience really taught me that class kind of it's it's an interesting thing of how small resources can make such a difference in your education so Mm. yeah and now I'm I'm doing a master's at UCL so it's kind of traveled all the way through (laughs) yeah nice did you always have this awareness of being working class or is it something that you've developed in looking back at your past I think I did have kind of an understanding of it. My family are very kind of labour, kind of left-wing orientated. Both my parents, so my mum's from Hackney um, and my dad's also from kind of London, Edgware kind of way, which they both came from very working class backgrounds. And that kind of was, I guess, the kind of working class values get kind of imposed from their experiences when I was younger. And I think we went through like kind of periods of different, like different kind of periods of economic prosperity. So like you might have kind of good periods, bad periods, and we kind of went through it all. And I think that kind of taught me that class is very kind of, it can be quite, it can fluctuate a lot. So you can kind of move up and down within classes quite easily. And so you can go kind of from the bottom to the, the top of it and then kind of in the middle and kind of float about. But it's kind of always been, an awareness for me and I think also I've always been taught to kind of be aware of like other people around you so like I think a, a real thing about working class people is a sense of community mm. you value a community more 
because often those communities provide support networks. So we've always kind of valued um, family and kind of friends and looked out for one another and kind of done what we can to help one another. And I think that's another kind of working class characteristic. Almost you try and give each other a leg up rather mm. than pull the ladder up behind you, which kind of happens with other people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So for people who don't know, could you maybe explain what the 93% club is and your role sure. in it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I guess we work very closely with its original founder. So originally the 93% Club was founded in at Bristol University in 2016 as a kind of society, a university society, which kind of u- was used by Sophie Pender, who founded it, to kind of like find a community at a university that was kind of overwhelmingly populated by privately educated students which obviously correlates very closely with a different class of kind of people in British society so it was kind of founded as like almost a support network initially Mm. and kind of as it grew um so it went to Durham in 2018 there was a society founded there because obviously Durham has quite similar demographic makeup so obviously there was it was deemed that that was a very valuable society to have there So it kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, And in 2020, we went from two to now 47 clubs um, across um, (laughs) different UK universities, which is quite interesting. I helped to found the UCL branch, um, which was actually very much kind of born out of an experience. I went to Queen Mary for my undergraduate before I'm doing my graduate degree now. And Queen Mary has a lot of kind of a much more diverse mix of people, I, I believe, in terms of social class, especially. It's in East London, which has massive variation in kind of class backgrounds as well, and like different demographic groups. Whereas UCL is quite homogenous and quite does suffer, I believe, from quite a narrow group of people that go to it. Um, and that's partially because it's kind of perceived rank within the university tables which is another issue in itself but that's kind of what motivated me because I'd never felt the sense of imposter syndrome that say Sophie had talked about when she initially arrived at Bristol um, until I went to UCL and then from there as I said it grew and we decided that there needed to be some degree of kind of national organization Mm -hmm. involved so a kind of committee was founded which I was put on as the marketing and comms director And then in December, we became a charity. So we really like emphasize the community spirit still, but we also realized that actually we can create a network of people that can give one another a leg up and can help one another. And um, we can network with key kind of actors like policymakers, stakeholders, different employers to kind of raise the issue with them and get them to action it. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And um, we've, we've got a lot more growing to do, I guess. And we're still finding our feet a little bit in some ways. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing the work being done and the amount of growth that has happened in four years. Mm. I mean, it's like, it's fucking ridiculous that it's gone from yeah. one to 47 <laughs> yeah. and growing more. It's insane. I mean, um, I suppose a question I have about the club itself is, mm-hmm. do you think by focusing in on comprehensives in comparison to private schools Mm -hmm. that there might be a little bit of loss of additional support for those who are working class and middle class I kind of feel that so for kind of a lot of kind of um, policies are in place that say issues anyway that mean that you can't exclude certain groups of people from joining so we never kind of preclude people from becoming a member I think it's just a way of igniting some conversations I think state 
educated students have a very common experience and it's even recognized within that obviously you have comprehensives and grammars which are both state schools mm. but different in different ways sometimes grammars are more resourced because historically they've had more benefactors and more kind of supporters who have got to higher positions in society and can provide that but I think it actually ignites conversation sometimes and we've had really interesting conversations with people who are who came from privately educated backgrounds who are obviously relatively middle class who kind of say actually the issue is we shouldn't be having to pay for a higher quality of education ultimately education should be good quality across the board for everyone Hmm. and actually we've spoken to people for example from France who in in France they don't have private schools or or they do but they're religious schools Hmm. um, because they literally simply don't see the need to have private schools because they are just their state schools are, or their publicly funded schools are just so excellent so it's kind of like those conversations we're having we don't necessarily call for the abolition of private schools even we kind of just want to make sure that there's kind of material cultural social equity that allows people to kind of move into the professions that they want to go into we also have conversations with people who say went to a private school on a scholarship which is also another experience because actually Mm. you may suffer from real intense imposter syndrome going there because you don't necessarily know you're not in the same kind of category as your peers, but actually you benefited from the resources and connections you made. And it's just about sharing them around and hopefully like just having an open conversation about how we can move forward as a society, because in some ways our education system holds a lot of this country back, I believe, from making positive strides and becoming a real kind of I don't know center for scientific innovation or um, for the arts or for because those industries are quite elitist sometimes. Mm. I suppose a question I have for 93% Club is the idea of getting in and getting on Mm. and how you approach the continuity of making sure that once a connection is made and uh, students are successful in getting into these places is there Mm. sort of a through line process going on to make sure that there is um, a continuation of that work being done and so that there is this idea of other people being brought up yeah I think yeah that's definitely what we want to achieve because effectively like there's this kind of idea of like an old boys club with kind of privately educated people We want to create that with state educated people effectively like in a a network that you can rely upon that can provide you advice on skills you could build provide opportunities or not necessarily like provide the opportunity but signpost them make them easier to get into provide the kind of just maybe like a basic as it might be as basic as a meeting where you can discuss like your cv when you're applying for a job that they're in So it's kind of providing this continuity of almost like you were saying, almost like a generation of like alumni from the club that can help foster greater social mobility, have quite candid conversations about their backgrounds. Because what we've also found is that obviously issues of race and gender are massive as well and can be really like prohibitive. But those are quite physical manifestations. So you can kind of identify someone who may be in an elite profession and you can kind of identify with them just based on kind of physical appearance. Whereas class and social mobility, people don't have conversations about often because quite regularly people have had maybe backgrounds that are quite unpleasant for them to personally reflect on and talk about. They might have had quite hard experiences, but equally, we're trying to foster this conversation that will allow people to go, oh, they're at the top of this company or this field. They're this great inspiration of mine and they came from the same background as me. Therefore, I can make it to that point. So it's even just... as simple as visibility um often 
so I think it's it's quite that's probably one of the most important things and just being able to provide the skills and and experiences that allow students to to move into the place they want to go to. Hmm. With uh, you sort of referred to the private school clubs, and I suppose the main one that most people know of is the Bullington Club. Yeah. And I suppose, do you think by having the ninety-three percent club being a club, it is actually addressing the networks that are established in places like Bullington? Is it a compromise in a way of trying to address the social capital that you do get mm. if you go to a private school? I think in some ways we're very, I think our mission is very practical in that sense of like, obviously there'll be people say in the 93% club who have different approaches to kind of politics, but we all kind of very much unite on the idea of this kind of cultural, social, economic capital that allows you to get on. And I think we do see the club as a way of counteracting those kind of existing clubs because it provides a community that you feel welcomed in and you can identify with other people within. But it is in that way, kind of, some may see it as a temporary measure. I don't necessarily see it that way, but it's more of a, a way of mitigating against kind of taking away some of the barriers that inhibit progress. And obviously, as you take away one, you go on to the next one and the next one and the next one. So it's kind of taking a very measured approach to doing that, because I think there's this kind of tendency, a lot of kind of private education is also tied up in British tradition. So our national identity is often tied with these old institutions, these old schools that allow them to kind of continue acting the way they do. But actually, we're not necessarily trying to wipe all of that away because it's such a massive task because we're not trying to re-engineer British society necessarily, but we're trying to make it offer deliverable things that allow that will meaningfully impact the lives of students. And, and that's what we're doing at the moment. And we are having kind of conversations with various like different politicians and roundtables allow us to kind of make those small changes and just get people's voices heard. So I think that's what we're kind of focusing on at the moment, I would say. Mm. I just want to add for people who may be interested in learning more about the relationship between private schools and education within the UK, um, mm. two brilliant books, one being Miseducation by Diane Ray and mm. Posh Buys by Robert Verkake, yeah. both really good. What got you into marketing communications? <laughs> That's an interesting one because I'm currently doing my degree in urban planning and I intend on being a solicitor. Um, so no intention really of pursuing a career in marketing and comms. I guess what really intrigued me about it was that I personally believe that marketing is one of the biggest tools for us at the moment, especially kind of COVID and virtual, but also gets our name out there and it's more visible. So I wanted to kind of take hold of like figuring out how we can kind of craft our message and represent ourselves. And that's kind of what I work on primarily. I work with a create, our creative director who kind of helps me on the pretty looking side yeah. of marketing, <laughs> um, which is great. But I feel that I just felt it was a really important role for me to adopt and one that I could develop my skills in and provide kind of useful experience. And I work with a lot of kind of industry professionals who very much after because actually Robert wrote an article about us for the Guardian um, which was great and after that we had like a lot of interest from different kind of quite high profile leaders in industry um, so I've been working with different people who have been helping me achieve that and it's been really interesting to see that grow and the great thing is that the charity year on year so when I'm not a student anymore my role will be passed to another student to develop their skills so that's really good I think because to say 
even just down to the practical managing of the, of the organization, as well as providing opportunities through our events and other things, we provide upskilling opportunities as a member of running the actual fabric of the organization itself. So that's been really helpful. But yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I've got a, a thing for political comms, especially after my <laughs> undergrad in politics, it, it got me hooked, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How do you find it making these sort of messages out to people? Because, I mean, a lot of working class people have an experience, uh, a very hostile experience of education. Mm. Yeah. And I'm curious how you approach saying to people, look, there is ways, there are places that can help you get on mm. and help you in social mobility. I think what we've found, the best, the best thing to do in marketing is kind of know your niche so we know that we're helping state educated university students. So there's kind of two factors there. It's like state educated and a university student. But we recognize that obviously this issue is very intersectional. So often we will sign posts to other organizations, Sutton Trust, Social Mobility Foundation, uh, Social Mobility Commission, who might be able to provide opportunities for those who might not be a state educated university student, but are in need of becoming socially mobile, whether that be a student in school still, um, an adult who might want to reskill because we found actually a lot of adults have reached out to us and said we wish this was around when I was at university because I felt so alienated so I think it's just knowing who your audience is so we try and kind of appeal to um, our, our networks and our students but also knowing that marketing isn't just about appealing to your own group it's appealing to a broader group who's affected by the same issues but you might not necessarily be able to help but you can signpost them in the right directions so that's what we've been finding works very well with marketing and also just building a network within the social mobility kind of community. Um, so kind of working with different organizations to craft things. Uh, and talking about your future plans to become a solicitor, mm -hmm. how do you see your experience of being working class affecting the way in which you work as a solicitor, if at all? Mm -hmm. So I guess one thing I've learned, and it's quite, I think, a great thing about working class people is we're able to have candid conversations with people. So I think we can, if, say, a client has an issue and it's quite an intense one, you can kind of address it in quite a direct way, which I think people appreciate, especially with lawyers, being able to be direct. But also, I think... It shapes the kind of practice you want to achieve. So at the moment, I'm looking at kind of the corporate route. I think it's kind of the, the dominant route into being a solicitor. It's the one that provides the most personal security, which I think is another thing working class people seek when looking for jobs is kind of a degree of security. That means you're not kind of suffering from the precarities that a lot of working class people suffer from. But also it kind of shapes that I want to maybe work, I might have to work as a corporate lawyer, but I also want to get involved with like good governance, kind of corporate social responsibility, pro bono work that where you can get involved in projects that actually also have meaningful impact, but you can use your skills to help other people further. And I think it's learning that you can kind of do multiple things. It's having, you can do multiple jobs and use multiple skills to provide um, for other people and help other people. And I think that's the one thing that I've learned from the 93% foundation but also just kind of from my background of like actually you want to help people you develop multiple skills that allow you to do that and it's also recognizing skills that you find in places you don't expect them to be found so I worked as a cleaner for example for a, quite a long time when I was at school 
and that skill just taught me like obviously the value of hard work and mm. how to approach a task methodically kind of things like that and you don't always realize that those skills are really helpful in especially professions like law or those kind of more corporate areas of work uh what is the future for the 93 percent foundation oh, that's quite <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting question we get asked a lot at the moment uh, kind of next year i'm actually moving into more of a growth capacity to figure this out a bit more yeah. but we're kind of looking at ways of engaging quite meaningfully with especially kind of policymakers and getting involved in research and we're looking at starting a bursary so kind of really launching sides of things in addition to our events which provide the kind of upskilling and empowering side of the 93 percent club but also looking at the kind of the real kind of nitty-gritty like can we provide resources can we provide research that articulates the experience of these students can we engage with policymakers on issues of education reform of social mobility that's where we're kind of looking and also branching out I think um, one thing we've suffered from in the past is kind of this kind of corporate looking uh, we look like a bit um, like we cater more to corporate industries mm. but actually we're looking at arts which are really really hard to get into yeah. you're telling um, me <laughs> yeah it's really it's and like they're probably some of the worst and they're the hidden ones as well mm. because corporates suffer from visibility in the press and PR and that's why they're quite good at this as well as as people within the organization pushing for it but the arts have, uh, can be quite insulated so they're kind of areas that we're looking to target so we're going to launch like an arts program where we can kind of get students that don't necessarily we're not looking for material resources but experience because that's probably some of the most valuable things to to students who want to become a curator or an art rest restorer or yeah those kind of more niche areas yeah, yeah. I was going to ask about um the kinds of businesses that sign on for the club and mm -hmm. being from an arts background and sort of a lot of the stuff that I've been doing for the podcast has been talking to artists and curators and in mm. the arts sector why is there this greater clarity of trying to address class disparity in law in finance in these areas mm. in comparison to the arts I think because in some ways, and this is kind of not an offence to the arts, but I think kind of finance and law are always seen as like these old age industries. They've just been around for decades and they're the ones that are the ones that will suffer the most from this entrenched kind of classism. So the bar, for example, barristers, mm. they're considered, they haven't really changed much in the, mm. the hundreds of years they've ex existed. So I think it's partially that, so an image. I think they've also got clients that will be looking for more agile companies that move with the times. Because say with lawyers, if you're advising a company on how to conduct themselves well, good corporate responsibility, you should be enacting that at your company. Like it looks a bit bad if you're telling them what to do and you're not enacting it yourself. Whereas I think the art is, sometimes you work more as an individual as well in the arts, like you're often self-employed it's a lot more precarious in the sense that um, you don't necessarily get a contract, you're kind of working, say, especially in, um, say, film or music industries, you'll be working to kind of shorter or medium term contracts. So I think those things just make it easier for these issues to get hidden. And I think it's about digging them out a little bit more there. So I think we can definitely target those industries more and kind of bring to light the issues that have been encountered there. Uh, where can people find out more about the 93% Foundation? 
So obviously we've got our website, which is www.93percent.club, which has kind of all of our information where to sign up. It will direct you to your club if you want to join one at your university or set one up. One thing we also emphasize is that even if you don't have a club at your university, you're able to come to all of our events as a foundation, our national events. We don't stop people if you're not a member from coming. There's obviously Instagram and LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And then we kind of make podcast appearances like your, yourself or <laughs> we've got our own podcast and we've also made appearances in kind of the Guardian and Telegraph and other places. So we're you'll see, hopefully see our name a bit more often floating about. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Finn. This has been oh. really interesting digging into the questions of the 93% Club. And it's a great group. And I'm so glad that there is this greater focus on social mobility and yeah. Uh, how to improve it within uh, the UK yeah thank, well, thank you so much for having me because it's, it's important to have these conversations and actually understand that these issues are intersectional so I think it's really great to, to be having all of these exciting conversations and really pushing it because I mean we're the future young people so yeah <laughs> but yeah lovely seeing you and hopefully see yeah. you in the flesh in the future <laughs> yeah likewise thanks for having me all right see ya bye And that is the episode. I'd love to thank Finn for coming and talking to me about the work of the 93% Club and for you for listening to this week's episode of What is Your Working Class? To stay up to date on our new episodes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at WhatIsYourWork1 and on your chosen podcast provider. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully hear from me soon.